an irreverent little romp of a song, isn't it? But I admit it's a little bit of an earworm too. It, it gets in there and it sticks and, and it doesn't help that they just play it over and over again in shopping malls and in radio stations as they convert their format from, from top 40 to all Christmas all the time and, and Santa Baby's in there in the rotation, isn't it? That song actually is, uh, is quite a bit older than I thought it was. It was recorded in the 1950s by Eartha Kitt, but that's not the version you heard and that's not the version that gets the play, is it? Uh, that version was recorded by Louise Siccone. Louise Siccone, that's probably not how you know her, but Louise was born into a staunchly Catholic home with a, um, a staunch Italian father, French-Canadian mother, typical of Catholicism in the 1950s. They had this, this really deep reverence for Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so deep was their esteem for her that they named their daughter after Mary, after the Italian title for the great lady herself. The, the Italian word for lady is Madonna. And there you have it. And, and you've had the sense, if you have followed pop culture at all over the past 40 years, that, that Madonna has spent so much of her career trying to rebel against the name that her father gave her. I don't know whether she was antagonistic toward it or scared by it, uh, but so much of what she has done in popular culture has been a direct challenge to the name that she bears. In some ways, the church, at least the, the Protestant part of the church, has a little bit of similarity in that we're not quite sure what to do with Mary. We have this strange relationship with her. We speak of her sometimes almost as if she's just this pod through which God brings Jesus into the world. She's kind of two-dimensional. We're afraid maybe because of some of the errors of the past that if we make too much of her, it becomes idolatrous. So Mary becomes this kind of mousy lady with, with droopy eyes who's there in the Christmas pageant and doesn't say anything. She just looks placid with a towel around her head. That's, that's not the Mary of the Gospels. Very different picture emerges there. When the Apostle John, and this is fascinating, when the Apostle Paul, John is taken away to the, to the Isle of Patmos and, and he's given this incredible glimpse of God's future, of the consummation of all things. There in the center of all this fiery tumult of the apocalyptic future of the world, there in the very middle is the lady, the great lady herself, Madonna, the woman giving birth to a child. It, it shouldn't surprise us 
it goes back to the very beginning. The book of Genesis says that's how God will do it. That's how the victory begins. That's how the triumph is secured. You remember the story? The serpent is going to have its head crushed. How? How is evil to be vanquished in the world? Through a woman giving birth to a child. The passage that Emma read for us this morning says some remarkable things about this woman. A woman that was called out by God, a woman on whom God's favor rests, a a woman whose response is acknowledged and has been held up rightly so as praiseworthy now for centuries. So much of the kind of emotion that that we deal with, or at least try to conjure up around Christmas, is is rooted in trite little songs or or claymation Christmas cartoons or or pageants that that just kind of miss the mark a little bit. The response of Mary, a response in the middle of adversity, of challenge, of suffering, uh, says something I think that is well more than just noble that is right and righteous about what God desires in us. If we're attentive to what the Holy Spirit is really saying, I think that the most shocking thing that happens in the service today is not that we play a Madonna video, but that you listen to the the shocking song of of God's real Madonna. I'm going to do that briefly this morning. You join me as we pray and then we'll, we'll dig in together. Father, this is how you chose to enter the world. Not just through the womb of a teenager, but through her heart, through her passion, through through her righteousness, through her humility, through her deep devotion and, and her deep desire to see justice and your work in the world. God, this is how you did it. And I pray, Lord, that, that in her words, in her example, in that marvelous song that she sung so powerfully long ago, there'd be a word for us, an encouragement for us, a challenge for us, an example for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mary's a teenager young girl. She's just been given the news that she's pregnant. That message has been filtered so so much and for so long. Reading it aloud around the Christmas tree with our families or or seeing it enacted on a TV special or or even seeing it through the eyes of kids. We've we've heard it so much that it's easy to miss just how dire that situation was for Mary. She grew up in this little hick town way off the beaten path up there in the hill country. She was engaged to a day laborer, not married, betrothed. Betrothal was a long period, sometimes a year or more, where they got to know each other's families and they got to know each other. And then comes the catastrophic news, she's pregnant. That means in her world, she is teetering on the brink of social and economic collapse. She goes to tell Joseph, Joseph, I'm... I'm pregnant, and I don't know how it happened. I'm trying to imagine what that would be like. 
a teenager coming to me at the end of the service says, Pastor, I, I need you to know I'm, I'm pregnant. But honestly, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I mean, you, you can imagine the response of, of a sane, rational person. And that's, that's kind of how Joseph responds initially. He sees her as being a cheater, as being unfaithful. He feels wronged, and maybe he had a right to feel wronged. And she's threatened because if the betrothal is broken off, if she is cast aside, if she is not linked to that, that man who had said, I'm going, to, I'm going to watch over you and love you and protect you, and, and her families have joined together in this covenant, if she is cast aside, there is no social welfare system in that world. She would spend the rest of her life, if she lived it at all, deeply stigmatized, filled with shame. And she would have only two paths of employment left open to her if she could find them. Slavery or prostitution, which really are the same thing, are they not? In the midst of it all, she goes to see her cousin. She travels to see Elizabeth. Notice what happens when she walks in there to see Elizabeth. It says, the baby in my womb jumped, started jumping up and down when I saw you. Elizabeth says, Mary, Mary, you're blessed. What? Uh, can you imagine? You're blessed. I'm what? She felt the opposite, didn't she? She should have felt cursed in this. You're blessed. You're highly favored among all women. And she uses the same kind of language that the angel used with Mary when she first gave the message. And as a result, Mary starts to sing. If you have your Bibles, open them up. Verse 46 there in Luke. And what does she sing? You know those words. My soul magnifies, makes a big deal, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's singing about the greatness of God in the middle of a situation that ought to be catastrophic for her. And she goes on to sing about God's attention. For God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I mean, think about that for a second. You are one of What's the number now? Eight billion people on the planet? We are one planet of inestimable billions in the planet in the universe. And, and the idea that God notices you, that should be a profoundly soul-shaking experience. God noticed her. He looked on the humble estate of his servant. And he didn't just notice her. He noticed the people that she was a part of. You know, for hundreds of years, Mary's people, the people of Israel, had, had been crying out to God. Oh, God, when is it going to come? When are you going to bring your deliverance? You've talked about it. We've waited so long. We've endured so much. When does salvation finally get here? Have you ever felt like that in your life? How much longer, Lord? How much longer? Some of you are praying and praying, and it's getting harder to do it. And, and the long, hard work of waiting is, is starting to wear on you. How much longer? In the midst of all of it, the suffering and the waiting, Mary sings out, I'm blessed. God has heard the prayer of this little peasant girl, and he's chosen me. And it's a blessing. And she goes on to sing about the blessing of mercy. 
Notice in her song, she sings about a God whose mercy is for those who fear him. Uh, the old language of, of, of the Bible, to, to fear means to, to, to revere, to, to honor, to recognize the absolute omnipotence and holiness and power and otherness of God and to respond in fear, not cowering in terror, not a horror movie kind of fear, but a driven to your knees in the presence of majesty kind of worshipful fear. The mercy of God is for those who honor him that way. A God who's capable of doing all these things for his people, including forgiving them. He's not turning away from them. And she recognizes that God is giving her this honor. From now on, she sings, all generations will call me what? Blessed. God is honoring her name. God is glorifying her. and Boy, it would be easy to let the ego swell when you hear those words. Huh, I'm the first virgin ever to get pregnant. There's going to be great PR to be made here. We can sell figurines by the billions. We can name a football pass after me. Maybe people will even end up seeing, seeing my face in their morning toast. I mean, but what does she do? She humbles herself before the Lord. She recognizes that the only glory in her name is through its linkages to Jesus. Somehow, I think this is where the church lost its way with Mary. The only glory in the name of Mary is through its link to the birth of Jesus. And Mary herself said it. In humility, in, in her song, in, in her devotion, God points to her and, and she points to Jesus. There are some of you, and, and boy, in seasons of my life, I, I understand the pressure. But you're working really, really hard for your name. It, it might be just, just wanting to get a little bit more notoriety and recognition in, in the little pool of your own family. You want to make sure that when you get together this Christmas with your relatives over the holy season, that you're seen to be doing fine for a change. For some of you, you're working really hard to elevate your name in the workplace. Some of you are working to preserve your glory and your name even here at the church. Some of you are trying to preserve your glory and your name in the neighborhood. What Mary recognizes, even at her tender young age, is that the only way that glory is really honest and achievable, the, the only thing that's significant about her glory is her relationship to Jesus. In a sense, what's really happening with Mary is absolutely unique. There was only one mother of Jesus. But in another sense, it's not unique at all, and it, it's meant to describe all of us. The Apostle Paul later in the New Testament talks about what the Holy Spirit is doing inside all of us who believe in Jesus. Christ is being formed in you. Christ in you. Christ in Mary, Christ in you. That's what God is doing with you. He's changing you into the image of Jesus. That's where your glory is. Mary bore the infant Jesus. You bear the incarnate Jesus. God in flesh. God at work in you. Mary doesn't stop there. She goes on to sing uh, of, of issues of, 
of justice and and of rightness and she sings sings about the humiliation of the kingdoms of earth the fact that what god has done is demonstrating his power she says you've shown your arm and you've shown your might you've uprooted the proud and knocked the proud off their thrones but here's the thing it doesn't really seem to be true at least from what we know of the world in which mary lived Proud were still marching around. Herod was still on his throne. Slaughtered a whole generation of infant boys around the time Jesus was born. Caesar Augustus was still reigning over the empire. And it was his emissary that, that gave the order that put Jesus to death. The proud are still marching all around. Mary must have seen what was real in the world, what, what was going on, but but she also saw what was promised and what was therefore true. That God was going to knock the proud down. That God was going to overthrow the mighty. That he's going to raise and exalt the humble. And she says he's going to feed the poor. And she rests in the knowledge that God will do that. And with the coming of Jesus, that's exactly what God is doing. God is taking a baby who was born and, and placed in a feed trough. He's taking a young man who will be stripped of all his clothing. Who's going to have his beard pulled out of his face. Who's going to be spit upon and, and stapled to an instrument of torture. Who's going to drown in his own blood. Who's going to be placed in a borrowed tomb. Because he didn't even have the finances to afford, afford that little plot of land. He's going to take this man in this event. And he's going to use it to save the world. Mary says this is a humbling, a, a devastatingly humiliating experience. And she sings in faith about that. What Mary's really doing. And if you have little cross references in your Bible, you see this. Mary's singing a song, almost word for word, that she'd probably grown up with as a child. It's, it's the song of Hannah. If you flip in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2, you can read it. Hannah, too, was thanking God that she's able to have a child, but Mary's singing about a different kind of birth. She's making the song her own, and, and with a little riff on it, she's making it all about Jesus. This is the child through which God is going to knock down the proud and rescue the humble. There's some of us who are too proud to pray. Some of us are just deeply fearful this morning. Because, I don't know, maybe we feel like we're on the precipice of economic collapse. Some of you are fearful because. You don't know what's going to happen next with your health. The diagnosis is pending. It's going to come in the next week or two. Some of you are, are, are deeply troubled, anxious, because there's this, there's this subterranean sin in your life. and It's tearing you to bits, and you're too proud to grab your brothers and sisters by the arms and say, pray with me, help me with this. It, it's got a hold of my, my life, and it's tearing me apart. Mary says, that God will knock you down. God's rescue ministry in the world is targeted first at those who can humble themselves. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You know the scripture, and he will lift you up. 
Mary sings this song of exaltation for the humble. And then she sings of triumph. She says, he has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sent away. Notice in verse 54, she says, you know, that God, by implanting this, this embryo in the womb of a Jewish maiden, by bringing this baby into the world, is fulfilling his promise to help his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Somehow through the coming of this baby, who is the king of the universe and the savior of the world, he is triumphing over all of his enemies. And yet, and yet it doesn't seem like it. Here she's singing out about triumph and And yet it doesn't look like triumph at all. Strange kind of victory hidden there in a feeding trough. I wonder if we can sing that with her. I wonder if we can see what God, in fact, is honoring there. We ought not to be too scared of the Virgin Mary. Yes, she's the mother of our Lord. Jesus tells us that if we're in Christ, we're brothers and sisters. We are her brothers and sisters. This lady is part of our family, and this lady's faith is exactly the kind of faith that God is calling us to. The real question is, are you with her seeing and crying out to God in thanksgiving for his blessing this Christmas? Or does God need to knock us down a peg or two? the proud and the haughty who, who need to come down so that there is less of them and more room for him. We know this year, as every year, there will be some who are here, maybe this morning, over the next few weeks, for whom this season is the most difficult of all the weeks of the year. These are hard times. You're desperate for a reprieve. You're waiting for hope. You're looking for mercy. Can I direct you back to Mary's song? Maybe what you need to do most right now is just bow your head where you are and say, Lord God, I'm going to allow you to be king over my life. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to believe that That this infant Jesus, this man who grew to be the Lord Jesus, crucified for me, buried for me, raised from the dead for me, and I'm going to cry out to you in his name for mercy. Then I'm going to sing with Mary that in him mercy has come. Maybe there are others of you who are living out your life in Christ, but you're in the middle of a situation and you just cannot see the reason and you cannot find the motivation to rejoice. Seems to be no blessing there whatsoever. And I invite you to listen again to the song of this little peasant girl. To sing about the blessings that come in Christ. Maybe, maybe you're terminally ill with cancer. But in Christ you will be raised from the dead. Maybe you've been laid off from your job. But you have a God who provides for you and will never allow you to be without bread. 
You may be completely alienated from a hostile family, and yet God brings you here into a new family filled with multitudes of brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles. I love the Indian the Indian culture. I love the way they recognize people of esteem by calling them auntie. Everybody, auntie, uncle, you have something here. The blessing is here. Maybe it doesn't seem obvious. This morning as we prepare our hearts for Christmas and as we look forward to, to seeing again through the eyes of our kids the wonder of that season. We look and see for just a moment everything that changed in the manger and, and listen again to the song of that young virgin. After all, she, she's our lady too. Let's pray. God, we look at a world and, and we long for change and sometimes we don't see it. And yet you promised in Christ it has already come. We can name it. We can depend on it. We can bank on it. There is a promise there that is as certain as anything in the world will ever be. Promise of ultimate triumph. Of justice. Of mercy. That in the end, there will only be one sovereign on the throne. And you are our Lord. And so, God, we place our lives in your hands. We humble ourselves. We want to name and recognize and claim all the blessings that you've given us in our life and anticipate all the blessings that are yet to come. We want to stand with Mary. We want to sing her Magnificat. God, you are worthy of all praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.